Activist theology is built on the power of story, and we believe story can change the world. We also know that being in community with one another on this journey will help to build a movement committed to collective liberation and a more loving world. We have a commitment to the ethics and politics of Encajunto, or togetherness, and we are together in this work with you. Hi, folks. This is Dr. Robin. Hi, y'all. This is Reverend Anna Galladay, and we are your hosts for the Activist Theology Podcast. It's time for us to get our hands dirty. We're ready. Are you? Hey, Pastor. Well, hey there, Dr. Robin. How's your week been so far? Oh, it just feels heavy. Right. Yeah, I'm with you. It feels heavy. It feels um, exhausting. Full of lament. Yeah. Um, I think lament is a great word for this moment we're in. Right. Um, we, uh, to be real honest with our listeners, we are um, coming to you after having, um, you know, heard several days ago about the passing of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg and having just heard of the nonsense indictment of the police officers that killed Breonna Taylor. Um, these are days that just feel very heavy, feel very weighted. I, I find myself clenching my jaw and having to kind of intentionally release it. I don't notice I'm doing it and then I have to really intentionally release it. I find myself, um, my stomach upset. I'm full of anxiety. I'm having to remind myself that my feet are on solid ground, that I'm not going to fall, even though I feel like I'm in a free fall sometimes. And, um, yeah, it's, it's been, uh, it's been a week that has been laborious Mm -hmm. to say the least. Well, and quite honestly, um, I wasn't on my phone when the news went out that the justice had passed and you texted and basically said, fuck 2020. Yeah. And I immediately went on to Twitter to see what was happening. And I saw a tweet that was like 53 seconds prior to me checking was when, um, Yamach, I can't ever say her name. Yamish Alcindor. Yes. Yamish Alcindor. Yeah. Yamish, who I really love. I saw her tweet. And so I retweeted it with a with a comment that said she was my hope for the court. Yes. And of course we talked later that night and you were really upset. And I think that um we I mean, this is this is the fight of our lives. Yes. And I saw some nonsense um, that came out from Howard Zen today that said, don't basically don't sweat the Supreme Court um, open seat because they only they only act when when voices rise up. And I think that that's that's not how the Supreme Court was intended to right. be used. They they're not they're not meant to legislate morality or legislate politics or policy, right? right? But that's how we're that's how we've had to use them. We've had right. to we have to use the Supreme Court for for justice. And you know, I feel really really um sad that and and you said it perfectly when we talked Friday night that a new appointment could shape a generation or longer. Right. You know, I was, um, I was at our, our place that, that my partner and I go to all the time, this little lovely dog park that we take our dog, Ruthie Bader to. And I heard the news while I was there and 
was instantly overcome. And quite frankly, this, this little community has become my community. And these are my friends that all have their dogs there. And we grieved together and they understood, you know, my, my tears and all of them were hugging my dog a little tighter, which was really sweet. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I'm um, sure Ruthie was like, what the hell is happening? Ruthie had no idea it. what was going on. No idea what was going on. But it was really interesting because there are there's a lot of lovely people that work there. But one of the employees is a 20-year-old man who has a lovely girlfriend. And, I, and I've met, met his girlfriend, but he works there all the time. And he's become a, a dear friend of ours. And when I, the, so the, the, a little caveat, the great thing about this dog park friends is that it serves beer. Yes. And so we can play with our dogs and watch our dogs play, but the adults can have a beer while we do it. And that's kind of the, the premise of it. And so I walked up to the bar to get a refill. And I mean, I think he could tell I had been crying and he said, you know, are you okay? And I said, I'm, I'm really not. Um, he said, what do you, what can I get you? I said, I, I would like three shots of bourbon and a refill of the beer I'm drinking. Well, this place only serves beer, right? No wine, no, no liquor, no nothing. And he was like, uh, we don't, we don't have bourbon. I said, yeah, I know. It's what I need though. It's what I want in my bones. It's what I want. It's what I need. And he said, what happened? And I said, well, I said, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg just passed away. And he looked at me very innocently and said, who is that? Hmm. And I said, oh, after I caught my breath, um, I said, she, you know, she's a Supreme Court justice, one of the nine Supreme Court justices. Uh, and he said, oh, that's that's really sad. And some, a switch flipped inside of me, Robin. I, uh, I instantly got defensive and uh, I mean, we'll, we'll talk a little later on. I mean, the, you know, was she perfect? No. But I said, you know, this, um, this lovely girl that you're dating, this, this girlfriend of yours that you love so much, the fact that this woman is no longer assisting us in, um, both, ruling on policy and correcting the mistakes of 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 the the courts below her the fact that she is no longer a, a, a voice in that could single-handedly change the life of your girlfriend for right. the next 40 to 50 years the rights that she has enjoyed the rights that you want her to enjoy um, the rights that she most likely takes for granted as a also 20 year old young woman right. could very easily disappear before her eyes. And his eyes were big. <laughs> I mean, I know I took him off guard, but I just, I was so, I was both stunned by hit by the, his innocence. And I was, I, I, I felt this deep, yearning need to help him understand the urgency of the moment. Right. Right. Like it wasn't just an eye roll of, Oh, well there goes a Gen Z or not knowing who the Supreme court justices are. Right. I, that's not at all what I was feeling. I was feeling this sense of, of urgency to implore him to care about this moment because of that girl that he loves so much, because yeah. of that young woman that that he that he wants to have a life that that is that is you know full of rights that that she deserves, and uh, I mean those sta those statements feel really simple, and I know that there are those of you out in our podcast sphere who will challenge the simplicity of my fear over the rights of women. Um, because it isn't as inclusive as Robin and I's conversation normally tends to be, or we attempt to make it. But my God, like, I, I am scared shitless over what could happen because of this. Well, 
let's just um let's just have that fuller conversation. <sighs> it's not just about the twenty year old young white woman. Right. It's about me, a forty four year old trans person yes. who needs reproductive care. Yes. And you know, the I was listening to MSNBC. I I I ran and got tacos. We got a great taco shop down the road. Can't I can't wait to take you there when when you're up. Um, Excited. Went and got tacos and um, was listening to MSNBC and the Federalist Party, which is a far right party, has um, picked up the Roe v. Wade ruling as the not only litmus test but the thing that they will go after and so um if roe v wade is overturned it's not just abortions that are in jeopardy correct it's all reproductive care correct i mean planned parenthood as we know it disappears i mean yes i mean it, it it will it will further solidify the the notion that conservatives are actually not pro-life they are pro-birth right right because let's take away the birth control let's take away reproductive freedom let's take away abortion rights and then oh for god's sake let's not give those women that find themselves in that situation any money to help care for those children right so it's very concerning to me as a trans person who needs my insurance to cover certain reproductive care yes um no i'm i do not plan to have a child but there are i need to see care providers who can see me under my circumstances yes and if we overturn roe v wade then that protection that i have as a trans person goes away now vanderbilt will still see me because they have a policy to see LGBTQ people, but I will be out of pocket for procedures and care right. that would have been protected with this Supreme Court ruling. So um, there's a lot at stake and I feel very concerned. And, you know, I, I, I said to you on the phone on Friday night, I, I said to my partner while I was cooking dinner, I felt it in my bones that it all of a sudden became harder to live just with that passing. Yes. Um, And we had a very long discussion about what's our plan. You know, my partner's mother is here. And so we're talking about if, if things erupt into some sort of civil discord, then um, what is our plan? You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of privilege in having a plan. Yes. And I feel called to be on this land and to steward my work in this place. And you know, my partner's mom didn't really like that answer and whatnot, but I Aaron also feels called to be here in the south and to do this work in the south and so you know, it, it will be really interesting um, to see what happens. Um, 45 has agreed to nominate someone and McConnell, um, you know, will push that through. And right. so I've been signing petitions and I've been reaching out to representatives and um, yeah, it's a, it's a real scary time. And, and also I want to, I want to hold the complexity of, who the justice was like, yes, she was not perfect, but she, she did work very hard to steward equality, broad based equality. Correct. And I think we, I don't want to lose that. Right. Um, I did see on Facebook, um, not long ago, Dr. Will Gaffney, who, who I love and who's brilliant you know, one of her critiques was the one of the reasons why black women have a hard time being in solidarity with white Jewish women is is exemplified in Justice Ginsburg's life. And according to Will Gaffney, the justice never hired a black law clerk. 
Right. Now, I did see on television that the justice did hire people of color. I, 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 cause I watched a program of honoring her life on MSNBC. Okay. She did hire people of color, but according to Dr. Gaffney, she never did hire a black locker. Now, I, I don't know. Right. But herein lies one of the sort of inconsistencies around around equality right that you know that that needs to be um analyzed and understood if that is the case why was that because certainly there are plenty of black law clerks who are qualified so is there i mean of course we talk on this show we're all conscripted into supremacy culture, right? right? Was this a huge blind spot of the justice or, or what? I, I, you know, I don't know. Right. And I think that, you know, we are, it is, it is, it is fair for us to interrogate the facts of her life, the, the values that we saw her, uh, exemplify in in both positive ways and negative ways. Uh, it it's no secret to anyone who has remotely been paying attention to the world and the way that she has become kind of this cult icon in the last in the last ten years that she. I mean, she she welcomed her status as the notorious RBG, right, right? But 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 you know, it is problematic that the nickname that she was given is a uh, you know was not borrowed but simply stolen from right. um, you know a. A, a black man who has a you know had a very lucrative you know music career. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is fair for us to interrogate and it is fair for us to ask these questions. I also recognize that uh, there will be similar interrogations of my life Hmm. when I am gone and there will be friends of mine when I was a teenager who minimize the work that I am trying to do now to dismantle supremacy culture because they remember the days where I had a Confederate flag hanging on the wall in my bedroom. Right. I mean, it happened. It it was there. I hung it there at, at the age of 14. I had absolutely no concept Mm -hmm. of, 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 of what I was doing, of what it meant, of, of, of anything at that moment. And so these interrogations are both important, but also, you know, are we, are we the sum of our life Mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and, and are we, are we valuable simply because we are, Mm -hmm. and as a, as a, you know, follower of Jesus, I believe that's that to be true, even as, um, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg um, being a very faithful Jewish um, uh, leader, I, I think that that interrogation is where we get like, it, it's where it gets sticky, right? Mm-hmm. Are we all perfect? No. Um, are we making mistakes or are we appropriating things that shouldn't kind of come our way? Maybe. But there is absolutely no denying that the work that she did in the world and the work she did on the court changed the trajectory of rights for a whole ton of people in this country. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I, 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 I look to um, someone like Andy Warhol who said, it's not to live forever, but it's to create an idea that will last forever. Yes. And, I, you know, just like you, people will um, come after me for for the ways that I 
um, do theology and the ways that I express politics. Um, but I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be the Messiah figure. I'm just trying to get people to think critically right. about our social reality. Right. And, and if that is my enduring legacy that I helped people think, fine, I'm okay with that. Because at least we will be in a better place yes. culturally. Yeah. And I think that's what the justice did. Yes. She helped us think about these issues that that plagued society. You know, I mean, even her partnership was one of radical egalitarianism. Right. <laughs> right. And and it's a beautiful it's 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 it, it's a beautiful love story, um, her her husband and her, and it's a beautiful example of how we might shift relationships in this world. What like women have a lot to offer. I, I yeah. mean, I you know I know that you kid me all the time that women do a lot for me, but w w women are really amazing, and and. You know, I get to work with with you on a daily basis, and it's like, why don't we trust women? Correct. Why? What What is that about? I, look, I wish I knew. I wish I knew why I wasn't trusted. Why Why there are things about me simply because of my my gender that 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 change a perspective for another person. Yeah. Um, I, I worry that the death of this justice will, um, will allow people to take their eye off of the Supreme court um, for the near future. I mean, once, once the appointment is made, um, I mean, it, it sounds flippant, but it kind of is what it is. Right. I mean, once the ninth justice is, is in place, regardless of who it is and, and how they are appointed and what their, what their, uh, policy, pol politics are. Um, I think that Ruth Bader Ginsburg asked us to pay attention to, an arm of the United States government that a lot of people didn't pay attention to right. for a really long time. And I think she knew that as important as she was and as important as her, as her voice was, she was but one of nine. Right. There, there was, there's a, there, there was a, a collegiality among justices. I mean, people talk all the time about her, friendship with Antonin Scalia, who, yeah. I mean, you know, is a lot like my dad in from a political standpoint. And, and like, you know, he, he was, um, he was someone that I could very easily see myself getting up from the dinner table and walking away from. Yeah. Like that's the kind of, and yet, and yet they traveled together, went to the opera together. Yeah. I mean, just, had a friendship that superseded all of the discussions that happened behind closed doors, all right. of the, all of the ways that they were writing, um, you know, dissent and, 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 you know, papers for the, the big decisions they were making. And, and there's something to be said for that, right? I mean, you, the activist theology project has, has tried really hard since its inception to create an understanding between people of radical difference, that there is the potential to bridge, mm -hmm. that difference is celebrated, mm -hmm. that, that we are not to ignore our differences, but we are to heighten them in a way that creates empathy and yep. brings social healing and, yep. and asks of us to do more and be more. And I, I mean, I look at the relationship between Scalia and, and Ginsburg and I think, I mean, what better public example yep. than that example right now in our time? And, and I, I think that it's, I think it's because of that collegiality and because she knew she was one of nine, but also because she had this kind of rock star status that people, 
paid attention to what was happening in those halls of justice. Yeah. I I was watching an interview the other day uh, with Hillary Rodham Clinton and she said, you know, I, I don't think that people are paying enough attention to what's happening in the lower courts and the ways that lower courts are lower court judges are being appointed and the massive number of really radical judges that have been pushed through under this administration who are being set up to continue to increase in stature and in, and in, and in, you know, their place in judgeship, whatever the, term is like i mean it is those judges you know some of which you know refuse to even acknowledge that brown v board of education was valid right like we we have justice we have we have judges that went before the confirmation committee and and couldn't state that they affirmed that brown v education was a good was the right decision and they are sitting in an appellate court right. making decisions that will then have to go on to the Supreme Court if if for some reason those decisions aren't you know aren't 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 upheld. Um we we are not we're not paying attention and I'm I worry that the whole the whole point of this rant for me. I worry that with the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg we also stop paying attention to the Supreme Court. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Well and you know her her last wish was that that she would not be replaced till after the election but as we see that's not going to that's not going to happen and as you say the lower courts are filled with judges who are not just right leaning but far right and they're producing harm and this this potential nominee in Amy Coney Barrett, it, Notre Dame law professor, I mean, you know, credentials out the ass. Yeah. And yet she is really, really problematic. I mean, not just not she's not just conservative. She is like conservative with a capital C. Yeah. Um and, uh, you know, I just have a really hard time thinking that someone like her won't be bringing her uh, radical evangelical uh, Christian fundamentalist beliefs to the bench and how disastrous that can be for us when we have very intentionally separated church and state. Mm-hmm. Um we will see those two things move back together yeah. if someone like her is confirmed to, to sit on the bench. Yeah, you know, I was thinking, you know, Justice Ginsburg was um, a very faithful Jewish woman, and you saw a clear separation between religion and state in in what she and how she practiced. But we have such um, a society of Christian hegemony that if if 45 appoints someone who is conservative and evangelical th- that is that's christian nationalism right yes. now and so if now we're legislating christian nationalism from the supreme court bench we- we've got we've got larger problems it's a disaster and look, I mean, we're neither one of us is naive enough to think that a Democratic president wouldn't also nominate someone who was a faithful Christian. Right. I mean, there's no there's no there's no, you know, the Republicans don't have the don't win the day on, you know, having people that are right. most radical in their in their right. faith. I think the difference is that the balance that Ginsburg brought and her, her the intentionality with which she set aside uh, her faith to be the constitutionalist that she claimed to be, 
um, was was necessary in every single every single decision that she she helped bring about. And I don't have faith that conservative judge appointees have that capacity. Right. I have more faith that Democratic appointees do. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe that's radically naive of me. I'm, I'm willing to I'm willing to say that, but um, it 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 really worries me. Amy Coney Barrett really really worries me. Yeah, and you know. Um, I'm assuming she's white. Very. You know, that, that this is another thing. Like, the Supreme Court doesn't need to have all white people on it. Right. I mean, I know that it doesn't. It's got, it's got Sota Mayor and, um, who's the other, um, woman of color? Uh, no, Elena Kagan isn't a woman of color. Oh, oh, okay. I thought she was a woman of color. No. Um, so it's only one woman of color now on there. You know, we, uh, not, not that, not that the rainbow coalition is, is a winning prize, but at least, at least destabilize the norm of whiteness. Right. In this, right. I mean, that's the other thing. Like you, you put a conservative evangelical on the bench and you can guarantee that they'll be legislating normative whiteness in, in, in a way that is harmful. Right. I mean, and Clarence Thomas, as a black man that sits on the Supreme Court, is um, not, not bringing forth the values right. that, that right. people of color anticipate right. um, out of a, a, of, of a centrist or a left-leaning court. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's there. There's no. There's no magic equation um, for who the ideal justice blend is. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you. I mean, you and I both agree. You know, the whiter the people are in those nine robes, the more problematic and focused on. Um, you know, or inbred in supremacy culture, they are. Right, right. So, I, you know, I, I we could talk all day about the problems of the Supreme Court and yeah. um, and the problematic nature of Ginsburg. But I, I've been thinking about this phrase, habit as ritual as justice. And I've been thinking about hope as a discipline. And if that is true, and if our habits make ritual that then make justice, then we have power to get our hands dirty and make some noise about this situation. Yes. So what let's let's just pivot there because I want folks to um, hear the constructive part of of this conversation and not just be weighed down. Just us with, lamenting yeah. and complaining and being yeah. sad. Yeah. yeah. So so if if hope is a discipline, how can we how can we create habits for justice when it comes to the Supreme Court? Like what are what are some things that we can be doing to get our hands dirty? I mean, certainly sign all the fucking position the petitions that you can. Yeah, and I think you know we have to remember that, um, and this is a very simple statement, but I think we often forget it because of the way that our our twenty four seven news coverage happens. Local politics set the stage for everything. Right. The politics that are happening in your front yard and your backyard, the people you're electing for your town councils, the people you're electing for your school board, the mayor that you are electing, um, the sheriff that you are electing, or the police chief. Yes. Every single decision 
that you make on a down ballot election contributes to a, a habit or is a habit that could contribute to hopefulness. Yeah. Because this is not, we, I mean, we like to think that we are a govern. We are a country that is that is run by our federal government, and that it is the federal government that trickles down into every aspect of our lives. Now, in in ways that is true. There are there's federal policy that influences our local our, our local officials and and the ways that we can um, do things locally. But let me tell you, there is more policy being made in city council meetings, in mayor's offices, in sheriff's department meetings that will affect you personally exponentially more than what is happening, the discussions that are happening in the halls of Congress Mm -hmm. and in the Supreme Court. The decisions that are being made from a federal level are important. Yes, I mean, do we do we want the the um, Obamacare to go away? Absolutely not. We cannot. We can't take a chance that the ACA goes in front of the Supreme Court and is and is thwarted. Right. Um, you know, are there policies around rights for? Uh, queer marriage and the the rights in the workplace that that affect you every day. Yes, absolutely. But I'm going to tell you something. Everything that's happening in your local government is as important, if not more important, from a day to day kind of keep your eye on the ball standpoint. Mm-hmm. And I think we so often forget that. I think it feels so easy for us to say, "Oh, well, when the." When we elect the next president or uh, when we appoint the next Supreme Court justice that believes like we do or uh, like if we could just get rid of our senator. Yeah, those things matter. But if you decide for one second that Joe Biden is not a progressive enough candidate for you to vote for for the presidency and you're going to sit out this election because of that. Please don't. Please don't. Because there are going to be more down ballot questions on your election form that are in desperate need of your voice that will affect you in a much bigger way if you just simply don't vote for Joe Biden. Yeah. Um, I mean, that would be the first thing that I would say when it comes to getting your hands dirty. Pay attention to what's happening locally. You know, I have the same impulse that local politics is is where this all starts. And if and if we, you know, I, I'm of the opinion that if we practice democracy locally, we can practice it on a larger scale. And so, read your ballot, read the referendums, read the things that are up for for voting. Um, look up the judges that that people are, you know, that you got to vote in. Um, I think the police chief and the sheriff, especially for us in Tennessee, is very important because right. we need to protect the lives of black and brown people. We need to protect the lives of trans people. We need to protect the lives of those who are unhoused. Um, and we, we know that policing has to change. If we can change policing and systems like policing at a local level, we have a better chance of changing them on a federal level. Yes. And so we, we've we got to be in relationship with local politics. Um, I don't think Joe Biden is the answer, but I'm going to vote for him. And, you know, y'all can come at me all you want for, for saying that. But if you think that a pragmatic, centrist, old white man is our answer, you, you've got... You've got another to, thing coming. Yeah, yeah, because... Yeah. That, that he's not our answer, but, you know, what's the alternative is choosing the better of two evils, you know? Um, yeah, I, I think that we've got to be focused locally, uh, front yard and backyard. Those are great um, images that, 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 cause we're right in the middle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
yeah, we've got a, we've got. A, I mean, I, I think I've got a lot of thoughts about this. I I, I just gave twenty dollars to um, AOC and um, Ayanna Presley and the 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 clan, the pack, the yeah. What are they called? Um, the squad. The squad. Yeah. Thank you. I just gave $20 to them because they're focused on grassroots um, um, donorship. And what I, I, I don't give a lot of money. I don't have money to give, but I'm like, oh, I, I want to give to this leadership pack that is focused on grassroots donors. They asked for $3. I gave $20. Um, I probably won't give until next year again because that's how my finances work. But figure out I'm not saying give money, but where can you give your time? Where can you make phone calls for people? I, I, I've been getting texts from lots of people wanting me to make phone calls. And I'm like, bitch, I ain't got time for all that right now. I, I got other things that I'm working on. Right. But um, but there are some of you out there who, yeah. who's, who, you know, could probably avoid watching a really shitty Netflix show because you feel like you've watched everything on Netflix so far yeah. and just, you know, avoid binging on something really crappy and, and make a few phone calls or send a few texts. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other thing that I would recommend, and, and this is, this is a little harder, I think for a lot of us, because we are so conditioned into understanding that the other uh, doesn't necessarily value us as human beings, but our neighborhoods are the most important place for us to be visible and for us to be seen and for us to be in, in conversation and community with others. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I hear from people nowadays. And, and when I say nowadays, meaning the last probably decade that they don't really know their neighbors they don't, I mean, they know what they look like. They say hi as they're coming in and out of this, you know, bringing groceries in or bringing their kids home. Um, they, they don't, but they don't know them. There's a, there's a need for us to recenter our possibility for community and this possibility for hope with those around us that are in the spaces that we are in. Right. And that's hard. It's hard for people that are afraid mm -hmm. of judgment and uh, safety issues and politics. It's, it's hard to steward a posture of welcome to someone that doesn't look like you or has a flag flying on the back of their vehicle that isn't a flag that you agree with mm -hmm. or that, that, that triggers you in a way. Um, but there is something to be said for the art of neighborliness and the way that we, the, the, the ways that we've lost being with one another. And, and I am as guilty as the next person. I mean, I, I have neighbors who I know on a, you know, on a surface level and, um, you know, one set of neighbors, I have their phone numbers, but I am not close enough with them that if something happened to them at work or if they were in the hospital for a few days that I would even notice mm. that I would even, that I would know that. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I worry I, I worry for us as uh, as humans um, that we that we just don't know how to be with one another anymore. Oh, that we I don't agree. trust one another enough. We don't um, we don't we aren't willing or um, or able for, from because of trauma in some cases to to put ourselves out there mm -hmm. and and engage with others that we don't know um, and I. And I feel like there's a, I, I don't know, I, I feel like there's a possibility for hope there as well. No, I completely agree. I, I've said for at least the past two years, we don't know how to be human with each other. And I keep saying it because I think it's true. 
and I think that we don't know how to be in relationship with with each other. I mean, it, within our organization at the Activist Theology Project, we talk a lot about how to be in relationship with one another and how to honor our differences. And, and you know, I come to this as an academic, as a scholar who is very concerned with translating this stuff so that people can understand it. But we, we've had to work really hard to figure out what is the relationship that we can share with all of us to right. do the work. And I think that that's good practice yes. for us to, to, as, as, to use your language, to becoming neighborly with one another. Um, you know, there are a lot of moving parts to all this. And, and I, I want, I want people to have a practice yeah. and, and I want people to practice being human with other people. Yes. Because if we practice that, um, it, it ripples out yes. the, the, the practice is contagious, if you will. Yeah. I think the last recommendation that I might offer is um, some self-evaluation in these moments. You know, friends, we talk a lot about the ways that we're all conscripted into supremacy culture and I know many of you have thought about that on kind of an arm's length level, like, oh yeah, like I remember who I used to be or, oh yeah, like I, like I, I, I get it. I see how that has changed me or permeated in me. Um, but I would challenge that every single one of us is still engaged in activities on a daily basis that are reinforcing values of white supremacy, mm -hmm. that are reinforcing the patriarchy, that are reinforcing um, heteronormity, that are reinforcing the things that we, as, as you and I as co-hosts of this show, and those of you that are listening to us, are, are saying on a daily basis, we no longer want to be a part of, we no longer want to engage in. Right. Um, but there is a, there's a deep, deep level of navel gazing and interrogation and looking in the mirror and, and, and looking in the magnified side of the mirror, not the mm -hmm. mirror that um, you do your hair in, but the mirror that you tweeze your eyebrows in. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it changes yeah. your perspective and yeah. the closer you look at yourself, at who you are and who you engage with and how you reinforce values that don't feel right to you on a daily basis, I think that it I think that we have the capacity to through self-evaluation and through self-interrogation contribute more to the lives and the hope of others um, because it is in that interrogation that we that we continue to say oh mm -hmm. ah shit yes I yes I do that and and I and maybe I realized it and maybe I didn't, but it's time that that stops. Yeah, it's such a great invitation for people. I, I always borrow the phrase from Gloria Zadua, I change myself, I change the world. And so I spend a lot of time thinking about who I am, who do I want to become? Because if I can get that right, if I can do that self-analysis, and get perspective on why I act in a certain ways, why I say what I say, um, the tone that I use. If I can get that, then I can actually use my voice in a way that can change the world. So I think that's great advice for people. Self-analysis, self-evaluation. Yes. Um, um, I, I, I can't. I can't agree with you more on that. Yeah. Well, friends, it's been a little bit of a downer. Know, man. A, this downer. Has been a downer. Yeah, it's been a downer. But I think it also, I mean, you know, we are hopeful. You and I are hopeful. We, 
um, believes I've got that, fight. I've got fight in me left. Oh God, look, friend. I I said to several several friends who were lamenting the other day about their marriage um, potentially no longer being recognized, and I said, look, you know, I my the privilege that I have in this work right now is that I'm a cis white hetero woman who um, is able to pay her bail money. Right. And, and I fully expect to put myself in the way of bad decisions if that's what I'm called to do. Now, not all of us are built that way, but that's, that's the way that I am choosing to use my privilege. And, you know, like we got fight in us. Yeah. Like we're not, I mean, nobody's ever accused you and I of shutting up. Um, (laughs) And, 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 you know, and, and that's, I mean, I think there's something to be said for that. Um, I, I hope that as we leave you this week, that you all identify that you still have fight in you too. Mm, Um, And no matter how hard this week has been for you, um, no matter how, down you feel or how disappointed you are in the outcome of of the week that you find a way to 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 be hopeful and really it's about freedom yes we got to get free we do we are not yet free no Friends, we'll talk to you next week. We'll be back with something a much, much lighter, much, much friendlier, much airier. Um, <laughs> actually, we'll be back with an Australian, which yes. make all of you very happy. Oh, I so, love, I love that accent. Yeah, I do too. It's where kangaroos we'll, jump. <laughs> just where kangaroos jump. All right, friends, we will see you next week. Find ways to get your hands dirty. Be the hope that you need to be in the world. Be the hope for others. And we'll talk to you again. Bye. Are you looking to connect the dots between what you think and how you live? Are you looking for a more robust way to be in solidarity with the movement? Are you looking to get your hands dirty with the work of social justice? Join Dr. Robin and Reverend Anna Galladay each week as they share, reflect, and analyze on pressing social concerns. Want to help support this podcast? Go to activisttheology.kindful.com and click on podcast. And remember, activist and theology share a T. The music you hear in this episode is Hands Dirty by our friends Delta Ray. Our sound editor and engineer is Dan Medley from 10 South Sounds. <laughs>